D. Smith, welcome in. It is the latest edition of the Unnamed Soccer Podcast. The Unnamed Soccer Podcast, uh, often fueled by Three Punk Ales. It is brought to you by Three Punk Ales. It is also brought to you by Sport Clips, where it is good to be a guy. Darren, a Sunday afternoon, a pleasure to see you. Well, thank you. Back in San Diego, home from vacation. Second you step off the plane, it's equal parts. Hey, I'm relieved. I'm back home. I smell the Pacific Ocean and then reality of work and <laughs> quarantine sets in. But good to be back in San Diego, ready to rock here, Jordan. And this is unprecedented for us. For the first time ever, we are going to record this podcast with one of our favorite guests. And as we're all still wrapped up here with COVID-19 precautions that we're taking, we get to do something via Zoom. So we actually get to see the person who we're speaking to. Eric Gomez from ESPN, one of our own, a native San Diegan. Normally, we catch up with him in Mexico City, but today we find him in his bedroom. He just gave us a tour of his childhood <laughs> bedroom, which was a blast. Eric Gomez, good to speak with you and see you. I was going to say, this is an upgrade for us. I, I, I'm not sure if it's an upgrade for listeners to be able to look at us if they, if they so choose at some point. <laughs> I don't know if you guys record this on video, but... Uh, it's an upgrade for us to definitely be able to look at each other. Um, digging the uh, corporate sponsorships, by the way. Every, every time I come back on, it's like there's a new sponsor on. So maybe hopefully by this time in uh, 2021, we'll be up to three. I like that. It's solid. It's a good goal. It's good to have goals, too. You know, I listen to a lot of those podcasts, too. And it seems like a lot of the sponsors are sort of the same from podcast to podcast to podcast. So Amps.com. You know, yeah, uh, hmm. me undies and zip recruiter and some of those. Kind we, of right. we, we got an email. Uh, we got an email this week, Darren, um, from Manscaped. Uh, there you go. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, let's let's relax. <laughs> I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, well, hey, man, if they're offering, that's that's a local San Diego company. I'm all about Manscaped. Are they, are they local? I was unaware of that. Yeah, that's what I was told. Well, anyway, um, well, that is good. That is good. Anyone else, uh, anyone else have a drink? I'm drinking tonight. I feel like it's the San Diego loyal season. I'm drinking a stone Buena Vista. Like the, the flavor, the taste takes me straight back to, uh, the away matches and to be honest, the home matches at uh Torero stadium as well. So Eric, no. it is good to see you. Thank you for showing us the Britney Spears poster you had in your bedroom growing up. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Gotta stay, gotta stay true. Gotta stay true to Britney. <laughs> yeah. Um, Darren and I, before, uh, before we really dive deep into uh, several things we want to talk about, including CONCACAF Champions League, we were trying to remember something and forgive us for not knowing this right off the top. But um, do you have, you have a European club, don't you? Aren't you an Arsenal fan? I'm an Arsenal fan. Oh, gosh, that's news to me. No, oh, uh, no. The, only, you're, the only European club I support is uh, Napoli. He said, yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. What's that connection? Uh, so my uncle who originally got me into soccer in the early nineties was a huge, uh, Diego Maradona fan, right? Diego was the absolute goat for not just Napoli, but you know, arguably the entire sport. So I remember watching old VHS tapes of, uh, I have no idea how he got those cause they were all in Italian, you know? So it's like bootleg VHS tapes of Napoli's 86, 87 season or whatever. And I really, you know, as a kid, you, you gravitate towards simple things, right? So the uniforms I really liked and, you know, that, that short guy with the big hair and number 10 on his back was pretty good too. So um, I really liked Napoli from the get-go. I stuck with him. And then, you know, 30 years after the fact, you've got Chucky Lozano playing for them, which is a, is a good plus. But uh, it's, it's always kind of hard to watch Napoli play over the course of a season, knowing full well they're going to finish second or third, and Juventus <laughs> is going to flip that trophy. So uh, we're hanging in there. See, uh, that is a huge yeah, relief for that. me because I will tell you for years, you know, that we've gotten to know Eric here on the podcast, and obviously he's been a guest on the radio show several times, and he's a guy that I, I you know, root for. I consider a friend. But the header on his Twitter page is a picture of him shaking Cristiano Ronaldo's hand. And I never yeah. really wanted to ask and find out if in fact he was like a Real Madrid fan or whatever. Oh, so gosh, I was no. always like, God, I'm no. just going to leave that alone. <laughs> I just, I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to have to 
carry on with that line of conversation. But to that point, then I, I, we weren't prepared to, to really go down this road. So as we all saw the world react to Diego Maradona's passing a couple of weeks back, how did that hit you since he was somewhat directly, indirectly, however you want to phrase it, responsible for you and, and your views of, of the global game? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you got to realize too, Diego Maradona in, indirectly is a, a huge figure for Mexican soccer in general, just because of what he did in 1986. Right. So that was a few months before I was born, but uh, whenever you walk down Estadio Azteca into those tunnels and you, uh, you see Diego everywhere. So he's, he's a kind of a looming figure, not just in Argentina, obviously in, in Italy, but uh, worldwide, wherever you, uh, you look at these big soccer cities, these big soccer countries, you'll find guys like Diego Maradona. So he's definitely one of the guys who um, shaped the sport in this modern era. I recently rewatched that documentary HBO did on him a year ago, which I think is fantastic. And, um, you know, especially now that he's passed, as you mentioned, it sort of shines an extra bit of light as to what he meant to that city, Napoli, the Naples, the city of Naples, the, the unwashed, the unloved, they would call them. Um, people would bring really harsh and insulting signs to games in the eighties. Like you guys have cholera dogs are cleaner than you are, et cetera, et cetera. And it really struck a chord because Diego was, was always sort of the, um, the working class hero of soccer. He came out of a very, small impoverished village in, in Argentina, Villa Florito. And I think going to Naples really kind of uh, was a, a natural evolution of, of his childhood and being with people who were considered the underdogs and to do what he did with that, with that team. I mean, this is, and I, I wrote about it at the time uh, when he died, it's as if you would have Messi go play for Getafe in La Liga or, you know, have Cristiano Ronaldo go out to, I don't know, Regina, Verona, whatever. Any small market team in Italy, that's the impact of what Diego Maradona did when he went to Napoli and he won those two titles, not by himself, obviously, but largely spurred on by what he was able to bring to the table, not just as a player, but as a club ambassador. He was able to bring in all these other very talented players into the fold towards the, uh, the late 80s. Um, I don't think we'll ever see anything like that. Whenever you have these, um, you know, especially in other sports, um, I heard people kind of lightly comparing that at the time earlier this year when Tom Brady left the Patriots to go to the Buccaneers. And you can't really do that in leagues where there's parity and, um, and, and a real shot for anybody to win a title. World soccer, as we all know, is, is completely different. And to have somebody do what Maradona did in that time is I think as close to untouchable as we will see going forward. So um, it was definitely a, a shock and, and kind of a, uh, just a weird, a weird feeling in an already weird year to lose Diego Maradona. But uh, you know, we will always have the uh, seemingly endless highlight reels and he's, you could say what, he, what you want about the man uh, there's a really good line in that documentary. He says, well, you know, there's two, two people inside me. One is Diego, one is Maradona. And you can't have Diego without Maradona. So, you know, it just goes to show you uh, even the man even credited his demons, I would say, for, for some of his genius. So it was a uh, really, really, really touching tribute, I would say, to kind of have all that media available to us uh, after his passing. Eric, my question about uh, Diego for you as someone who covered the league, how will you remember his time with uh, Liga MX? Yeah, and that that was the one thing that I didn't touch on, right? He coached uh, Dorados for uh, a year in Liga MX. And, um, you know, that in itself is documentary fodder, that city, right? I mean, what other city can really say that they had Pep Guardiola as a player, Diego Maradona as a coach, and if you want to, if you want to stretch that into a uh, an unlikely trinity, then you know Cuauhtémoc Blanco also as as a former player, um, that was surreal. And in many ways, it it kind of goes with Diego, right? I mean, he did it as a player, he did it as a manager. He wanted to prove himself, and I think he, he really left a um, 
good taste in people's mouths when he did that. Uh, he, he just took a really middling club in the second division and nearly took him to a title. So that uh, definitely has its local connections or its area connections as well, because as we all know, uh, Dorados is uh, the property of Grupo Caliente, who also owns Cholos here in Tijuana. So there was always sort of that rumor, right, that he might take yeah. over Tijuana. I, I kind of wish he did. That would have been really interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can remember having conversations with you off the podcast about that a little bit, just sort of picking your brain to find out what you thought of that idea, if you thought it was possible, if this was just sort of, I don't want to say an apprenticeship because it's not doing Diego Maradona, you know, not doing him justice to say that that job was an apprenticeship, but just because of the connections, like you said, to Tijuana, I, I did wonder about that. And, and that he managed there at one time, you know, that, that brought out so many people you know, to me certainly seemed like, do you, do you think that that was ever a consideration for the group? It was, it was, they wanted him to take over eventually. I think a couple of things that in its tracks, one was the fact that his health was already failing at that point. Uh, you could see it. There's this very famous post-game ESPN interview after a Copa MX game in which Diego just kind of goes blank stutters at a couple of questions and is just not able to answer um, even a basic yes or no question. Right. So um, his, his health was going. And um, I think the other issue was um, strangely enough, I don't think he wanted to be that close to the U S border, which might seem strange to a lot of people. Diego had some lingering issues with the United States that only got uh, more and more, I want to say difficult towards the end of his life. And um, there was a lot of business that goes on between Liga MX and MLS, as we all know, a lot of um, synergy, a lot of growing, you know, at at some point I think he was going to have to travel to the United States either for maybe a league's cup game or a simple friendly. And I think that was something that he didn't want to do. So if ever he wanted an opportunity to coach in Liga MX, it was probably going to be with another team or maybe, with Dorados, given that he had the chance to, uh, to bring them up to, uh, to the first division, which obviously never happened. But, um, yeah, it would, have been, it would have been fantastic. It would have been fantastic not just for the league but for the region, right, to have the opportunity to cross the border from San Diego and other places in Southern California to, to watch Diego Maradona sitting on that uh, Club Tijuana touchline. That would have been magnificent. All right, Eric, honestly, we really didn't expect to talk much about Diego. Um, We we had a good conversation with Rubio Rubin. Anyone who missed that episode a few, uh, that podcast a few episodes ago, we do recommend you go back and check it out. But I'm really glad the conversation did get brought up because that was, uh, that was really good. Really the reason we we got excited and uh, were inspired to bring you on uh, is what's happening with LAFC and all the early success that they've, uh, that they've had as a club and, how they are rolling right along in the CONCACAF Champions League into a Tuesday night final as they seem just to take down any Liga MX team in their way. That's going to be really fun, isn't it? I mean, those guys have proven to be giant killers, if you want to call Leon Cruz Azul and now Club America Giants. Um, and I say that um, with a tinge of irony because Leon are the champions, but that game was, what, 10 months ago now? And uh, Cruz Azul, you can definitely call them a uh, top four team in Mexico, historically speaking. But uh, they were a couple of a uh, couple of weeks or a couple of days removed from crashing out of the playoffs in Mexico with that horrendous four nothing loss to Pumas. And Club America was a little bit of the same, right? Uh, they had been really bad uh, towards the end of the Liga MX season. They get bounced by Chivas, and then that game against Atlanta United, they, I mean, I understand they had the series wrapped, but it was, it was a pretty pitiful performance. Um, and it just got compounded, uh, against LAFC on Saturday night. So LAFC, I mean, all credit to them because they've been able to take advantage of every opportunity that's been given to them. And we could definitely say that what happened on Saturday started out with a significant disadvantage with that red card, uh, for a twist up, but, LAFC is a hell of a team and they've got the best player in this tournament uh, with all due respect to Andre Pierre Guignac of Tigres. Uh, Carlos Vela is a machine. And anytime you've got the best player on the pitch, on the field, you've got a chance. You've got a chance to win. 
And um, I think <laughs> all these Liga MX teams have found out about that uh, over the course of the CONCACAF Champions League. Now, I am going to be especially interested in the following storyline. It's not just MLS's drought as far as winning the CONCACAF Champions League or winning the region outright um, at the club level. That's going to be paired up with Tigres's complete inability to win any sort of international tournament, whether it be Copa Libertadores or now the CONCACAF Champions League. That's become a meme in Mexico, how bad they've been. To have this opportunity again and to have it be for the first time against an MLS team, um, that's just going to bring out the best in both of these teams because MLS is going to have the weight of the entire league, the entire American soccer system on their back, and you're going you're to have Didas with their fan base and Liga MX kind of um, hoping to continue their dominance and their glory over MLS on the other side. So I'm, I'm, I'm super excited for this game, to be honest with you. Absolutely. Tuesday night, you got the two leading scores in the tournament. And oh, by the way, a trip to the club world cup on the line. How is this tournament Eric received in Mexico? You know, in the States, frankly, I don't think most sports fans have any idea what it is. We do. <laughs> we do a soccer podcast, obviously, and we care very much about this, but how is a tournament that has been dominated by Mexican clubs, how is this tournament perceived? Uh, how is it prioritized by fans of Liga MX? I think the best way to describe it is it's not important until it is important. And what I mean by that is if your team has a chance to win it, then go, by all means, right, go out there and win it. Because at the end of the day, you're going to be able to compete against some really good teams, uh, the European champion, the South American champion. And, and again, uh, it doesn't matter that we don't get a lot of these games stateside and in, in, on this side of the world, to be honest, but those African champions, those Asian champions, they are a tough out and they rise up and can beat pretty much any, any team in that tournament that isn't a uh, UEFA team. So to have the opportunity to play against the UEFA Champions League winner um, I know a couple of years ago, or a few years ago, rather, you had Club America against Real Madrid, right? And that was still when you had uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Gareth Bale and all those guys playing for Real Madrid. Um, those pictures, I mean, they look like Photoshop edits years after the fact, right? To have a Liga MX team <laughs> facing up against the likes of Real Madrid or Liverpool or what have you. It's insane, but it's, it's a really kind of a, a, a nice little oddity and a nice way to kind of wrap up the, uh, the year. Usually we have this tournament in December, but obviously with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, that's, that's been pushed back, right? So um, at this point in time, we would usually be looking at the first wave of um, Club World Cup games. Uh, maybe we would have been wrapped already, but... I think MLS fans, if LAFC has the opportunity to lift up that CONCACAF Champions League trophy on Tuesday night, they will be very pleasantly surprised with the level of competition that every uh, region's champion has. Um, and the level of competition is, is a fantastic way to sort of compare your league and compare your soccer system to the rest of the world, right? If you're able to get a good result against a South American team, man, that that's about the probably the biggest compliment anybody can get as far as being outside of UEFA and Conable, right. To, to beat a team of that caliber, it's happened in the past. And you, um, I, I really hope that they expand this tournament in the future as uh, uh, like they've been thinking of doing, because it kind of just seems like a, a tiny little taste of, of what could actually be right. You, uh, if you expand the tournament to maybe 16 or 32 teams, you get, a good opportunity to play against maybe some uh, UEFA Champions League semifinalists. And it's not just maybe the Liverpools and the Real Madrids of the world, but maybe you get an, an Atletico Madrid, a Juventus, a Bayern Munich, et cetera. Well, Bayern Munich's the defending champion, obviously, but other teams of that nature. And um, as a Liga MX fan who's watched a lot of Mexican teams compete in Copa Libertadores, um, those are always amazing games as well, right? To, to go up against Brazilian teams and Argentine teams and all that. So um, 
I would say to whoever wins that tournament, if you're a Tigres fan, if you're an LAFC fan, if you're an MLS fan or a Liga MX fan in general, um, that tournament becomes all the more enjoyable once you're there. Yeah, I think uh, San Diego Loyal deserve a special invite one year to that tournament <laughs> just to see how it would play out. Uh, what, what side do you think actually has more pressure on them Tuesday night? Is it the American side or the Mexican side? Yeah, that's a great question because I think, as I mentioned, you've got the weight of MLS and the U.S. soccer system as a whole on LAFC. And that's tough. I mean, even though you've got one of the most experienced coaches in American soccer history in Bob Bradley, you've got one of the best players that MLS has ever had in Carlos Vela, and you've got a really solid roster top to bottom. Uh, that's a lot of pressure to put on a three-year-old team, right? A three-year-old team that, oh, by the way, has just made its first final ever. So to ask LAFC to carry with uh, all that, all the years of futility and all the years of heartbreak that MLS have had against Liga MX teams at this point in the CONCACAF Champions League um, history, that's tough, right? But on the other side, you've got Tigres, which I mentioned have never won an international competition they're a meme in Mexico because they've spent so much money grabbing all of these talented players, not just from, you know, Mexico and South America, but you know, from Europe and they've not been able to do the job. So I think just for, just for that particular argument, I would say that Tigres is slightly more pressured, even though they won't necessarily have the weight of Liga MX and Liga MX fans backing them or pushing them to get that title. It's more or less just their fan base. But I think they've been so bad at closing out and they've had so many chances over the last uh, six or seven years that they will be more pressured than a team that is making it for the first time. Yep. And, and in a final, like you said, and a tournament that's been dominated by clubs from Mexico, that's, that's, a, that's a national story. Here, it's a local story certainly in Los Angeles and amongst the soccer community in the States. And if LeBron James does something in LA, then that gets pushed even a little bit further down. Although I do want to circle back around a little bit, Eric on, on Carlos Vela for a second, because you know, he's leading the tournament with five goals or at least tied with Gina. Um, how, how you know, is his performance in this tournament for an MLS club? Generally speaking, I know you can't speak for 120 million people in, in the country, but Generally speaking, like how is that performance perceived, you know, that Vela is doing this, that he's on this run, he's doing it exclusively against Liga MX clubs. Um, are people conflicted? Are they happy that Vela is, is having this kind of success? Or are they conflicted because he's doing it against Mexican clubs? Like, like how is that performance and him and his contributions to the, the success of LAFC? How is that being received? Yes, it's, that's another good question. And, and it's weird, right? Uh, conflicted is the perfect word because Carlos Vela is a guy that um, not, hasn't had a lot of contact with Mexican fans over the years. He's been one of those guys that um, he left for Europe when he was 16 years old after winning the uh, Under-17 World Cup in 2005. So he was in England for a few years. And then he went to Spain. He was in Spain for, I think, six or seven years with Real Sociedad. Did a lot of wonderful things there, but never really won either any individual awards, accolades, and his team certainly never uh, did anything more than qualify for one UEFA Champions League, which is a huge deal, but uh, they didn't really do anything once they got there. So um, Mexican fans. Oh, and oh, by the way, he was away from the Mexican national team for, I think three or four years because of that spat that he had with the, uh, with the FMF, with the Mexican Federation. So Carlos Vela is kind of a, um, kind of a question mark for a lot of Mexican fans, even to this day, now that he, even being closer, uh, to Mexico and playing in Los Angeles and MLS, MLS is a league that has big contracts with ESPN and Fox, and you can, there are a lot of games available to people who want to watch them in Mexico. So Carlos Vela has never been closer if you want to call it that, but at the same time, he's not a guy that has had a very long track record playing for or against Mexican teams. So I don't know if a lot of people 
are generally happy that he's doing this. But on the other hand, I think it just kind of goes to show that if you want to cherry pick and say, well, MLS is gaining ground on Liga MX, but we can point to this. It's that MLS has really needed Mexican players, not just to cater to a growing fan base and uh, be more popular when it comes to marketing opportunities and whatnot with signing guys like Chicharito and Rodolfo Pizarro and Alan Pulido and definitely Carlos Vela, but they need a Carlos Vela to grow on the field, right? You mentioned the five goals. You mentioned that by and large, he's been the best player in this tournament. So it's not Slatan Ibrahimovic. It's not David Beckham. It's not Thierry Henry. It's not Andrea Pirlo. It's not all of these guys that MLS have brought in over the course of the last 25 years that have them on the brink of winning their first major international uh, title in 15 years. It's a guy from Cancun. It's Carlos Vela. So I think a lot of Mexican fans can potentially take solace in that, but Carlos Vela is not a kind of a lightning rod uh, for Mexican media and Mexican fans, the same way you would call maybe in his day, Rafa Marquez or Cuauhtémoc Blanco or Jorge Campos. He's been pretty well removed from Mexico for that uh, for the last 15 years. So I think it's going to, it's going to take shape a little bit more if LAFC wins the title on Tuesday, he might get a little bit more support and a little bit more hate, a little bit more attention in general. But if Tigres wins that game on Tuesday, this will all wash away rather quickly. Um, it's a very impressive run from LAFC, not just in this tournament, Eric, but also just in the first couple of years as a club. Um, it, it's, it's a little unusual to ask this kind of question about a club that just started a few years back, but how, how important is LASC to major league soccer as a league um, with where they want to go? Well, I think very, because the project that has been headed up by that ownership group. And I know that all the headlines have usually belong to, you know, Will Ferrell and magic Johnson being conduits to uh, mainstream America, as far as that ownership group and all that. But I think they've surrounded themselves with some really smart soccer people. I think hiring Bob Bradley was obviously a, a masterstroke and going for Carlos Vela just hit the nail on the head and saying, we want a guy that is going to put people in seats, but also is going to be able to lead our team to glory. He's doing just that. And as far as being important to the league, they, yeah, they're, they're already very important. I think I would put them up there um, with uh, Atlanta United as examples that you can hit the ground running in MLS and you can make a, a very positive difference for the league. It's going to be very interesting to see if Austin does that next season. I, you know, I wouldn't put it past them. I thought Inter Miami was going to be one of those teams this year, especially with all the financial backing that they have. It uh, hasn't really worked out for them, but we'll see what happens next season. LAFC has a golden opportunity, and I would argue that internationally speaking, at least if they win the title on Tuesday, forget about LA galaxy, forget about any other T Seattle Sounders, Portland Timbers, any other team that has been big in MLS. If you win on Tuesday, that puts you on a different plane. That gives you the opportunity of what we were just talking about. As far as there's a chance that they might, you might have Carlos Vela and Diego Rossi and Latif blessing playing against Bayern Munich. And that's, you know, that's, that's just a huge deal, right? Huge. So if they do that, that's, I would say that they would be the most important team in MLS. No doubt. I'm with you on that. It is such a massive opportunity for LAFC here and a place that MLS clubs have gone before, but just the second club ever from the United States to make the final as a question for both of you, just to be conversational about it. Um, Eric, I don't know which feed you watched. I think I watched the English language feed here on Fox sports. And I know there's a ton of jokes about CONCACAF and, you know, very concacaf and no extra time straight to penalties. And they're playing in this neutral site. There's no VAR and the red card. Should it shouldn't have been. Um, I, I actually, and, and no noise, like there was no uh, piped in crowd noise 
What did you guys think of, of the actual broadcast itself? Again, Eric, I don't know that you were or weren't watching the same one that I was. Uh, I'm, I was actually. Okay. So like what did, I kind of like, I sort of thought it was a little bit of a throwback with no VAR. And I thought it was a throwback with just being able to hear uh, multiple languages that the field mics were picking up. I, I must admit, I mean, the play-by-play and, and, you know, analysts, whatever, but I sort of dug the broadcast myself. How about you guys? I liked it. I mean, I thought that, um, well, not having VAR is a throwback in the bad sense of the word, of the word for me. <laughs> I wanted VAR. Yesterday's, I mean, I haven't bothered to look up this guy's name because I just don't want to hate him. Uh, whoever he is, but we had the worst refereeing. I, you know, even for CONCACAF standards, which as you mentioned is uh, for those of us who follow the tournament and the, and the uh, confederation itself, I mean, it's, you expect bad refereeing with CONCACAF yesterday or Saturday, Saturday night was just a new level. Atrocious. It was, it was yeah. I mean, whatever word you want to use is, is appropriate in my mind. It was the worst refereeing I have seen in a, in a very long time. And that red card for Atuesta was ridiculous. Having um, Piojo Herrera uh, fight with Ante Razov there at halftime and have <laughs> Piojo sent off after getting stung in the eye is ridiculous. Bob Bradley was picking fights with Club America players. He gets off scot-free. Then in the second half, it's like, you know what? Uh, you've been 11 on 10 for a while now. We're just going to randomly pluck a Club America player out of the game to make it 10 on 10. But, you know, by that by that point, LAFC had already swung the game. So I, I was just in awe of that. But to be able to hear sounds on the pitch, to be able to hear guys screaming at each other and to kind of pick up a little bit more on arguments and whatever it is that coaches say to players and players say to refs and all that, that's always a huge plus for me. I I really, really enjoy that. So to have these um, opportunities, we've had several over the course of the last few months with the pandemic, whether it be the NFL or major league baseball or the NBA or soccer, it's always kind of a, 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 a nice little Easter egg for us to be able to kind of pick up on things that usually would be drawn, draw just drowned out by sound from the crowd. So that was pretty great. But next time I, you know, gosh, we, we got to beg somebody over there at CONCACAF to institute far. I mean, it just can't, can't (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed the broadcast. I'm not even exactly convinced that the, uh, the refs would have been able to get the correct call, even with VAR involved. It was so bad. So even you can give them that, that extra security blanket. I'm not sure if it's actually enough. That's what I've always liked about USL. It's kind of what I really enjoyed this season with SC loyal is, we were able to hear everything. Now, like, don't get me wrong. I can't wait to actually get back inside a stadium where there are fans and singing and beer and it's the festive atmosphere um, that we love. But we're never going to forget the season that we just experienced at this level um, here in San Diego. Just being able to hear the players, the coaches especially. Um, you hear so much. There's so much to actually learn about the match when, when there's not all this other noise uh, drowning it out. So I, yeah. I enjoy it. I'm not... I don't think VAR is perfect. Um, clearly, the officials weren't weren't perfect the other night either. Yeah, but I, especially the piped in bullshit too. Like that's the thing, right. you know. Like, like there's nothing San Diego either. Yeah, like there's nothing better than a pro, like a really good supporter section, right? Like we're all drawn to the atmosphere, the event status, but you know, just not having that piped in bullshit. It just it's such a it just is a drag for me. And I just loved hearing you know different languages and coaching and hearing very specifically who was saying what to whom, like. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I sort of appreciated it because it really, really sort of stood out as this is probably the version of the sport that most of us started with, you know, at some point at, at some level in our lives. So from that standpoint, I, I dug it. So who's everybody picking on, on Tuesday night? Ooh, um, you know, again, you want to look at these rosters top to bottom. I think Tigres has probably – a top three team, not just in CONCACAF, but if you want to include South American teams, then them too. They've had issues over the last few years when it comes to closing out on big games. But um, I think this opportunity just kind of can't, can't be wasted now. Um, 
LAFC, on the other hand, as I mentioned, they have, they've got the best player on the, on the field out of all the uh, 22. Anytime you've got a guy like Carlos Vela, you've got a shot. So I'm going to go dramatics here. I'm going to say that they, um, they do a one, one and they go into penalties. And then uh, Tigres kind of drives that dagger into the heart with uh, from, from the uh, penalty spot. Ooh, brutal. That would be rough. Um, I think, uh, I think Tigres, make it very they're going to be really nervous i think it's scoreless for a while and i asked eric a little bit earlier who has more pressure i think more pressure uh, on the tigres side so the longer this goes scoreless i think the more pressure that's building on their side i think carlos vela uh nets the winner um i don't know maybe somewhere in the 70s or so but i think we get some serious drama on tuesday night i like it i like it and i i tend to believe that I don't know. You know, listen, everything needs to be taken. I don't want to use the asterisk, but, you know, neutral site and single matches. I, I, I just think this run that LAFC on, is on right now, um, probably, you know, it, it, they're not going to sneak up on anybody. That's for sure. And, you know, I'm with you guys. Very, very low score and close. I'll just say 2-1 LAFC breaks through. And ends the streak. I think, Eric, you probably talked me into that, just giving us a quick refresher on Theodore's history, especially in big matches. So I'll say that the big players show up. We get to see Gignac. We get to see Vela. But uh, I think they both score. But uh, I'll just – I'll take a flyer here on LAFC just because of the route. You know, I also think that they're just – it's been more impressive for them as long as – prolonged as this has been. Getting to this final, they've been the more impressive side and – uh, you know, I think that that sort of stuff matters, you know, that, that, you know, you have confidence against Liga MX clubs because you've taken down three of them. So let's make it four of them. And LAFC makes history here becoming the most important moment in MLS history on Tuesday night at seven o'clock here on the West coast. So it's a trifecta. All three of us are going to LAFC on Tuesday night. No, didn't Eric say Tigres? <laughs> I, I I said Tigres, but you know, uh, Tigres and penalties. Try, excuse me. I might I might try I might be trying to do the uh, the old reverse whammy here. So yeah, because you know what, it would be better for me if Tigres <laughs> loses that game. It just spawns a lot of of, of narratives that uh, that will allow us to keep talking Mexican soccer as we go into the new year. But you know what, it's going to be a hell of a game no matter what. I just I, I just don't want that ref anywhere near that final. I mean, I don't yeah. get whoever you want, get Mark Geiger, get, you know, <laughs> somebody out of retirement. I don't know. I, it doesn't matter to me. It just, you, the, the red, should the red oh, card gosh. be rescinded for Atuesta? Do you guys, you know what? Of course it should. Of course okay. it should. Will it be? Yeah. No, it's CONCACAF. Okay. <laughs> 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 it should, it should, but it probably won't because you're looking at very inconclusive video evidence. There's like one angle that seems to suggest that he might've grazed him. That yeah. could be enough or whatever. It's the, the rule is also very um, iffy because it's, it's not whether you actually hit a guy, it's having the intent, the right. violent intent, right? So you can make a pretty good argument that Atuesta uh, wanted to headbutt Ochoa. He definitely didn't, but he wanted to. And um, that's, that's enough. Right. So uh, gosh, you know, I, I'm just very excited about this game. I'm not nervous at all. I, I, you know, I like the, the narratives that are out there as far as MLS taking a step forward and kind of closing that gap with Liga MX. I think there's a ways to go there, obviously, because anytime a league is dominated, a, uh, an international tournament like Liga MX has done over the last decade and a half, you need more than one team breaking through, but it's a hell of a start. It's a hell yep, of a start. Absolutely. If I say do that, gosh, it, it would be great. I know. I do feel differently about this opportunity than I did a couple of years ago at Toronto, certainly Montreal. I mean, that, that club sort of was, you know, on, had a lucky horseshoe and, you know, I don't remember Real Salt Lake in the final, but I, I, I do feel differently about this club for the reasons that, that you laid out for us, Eric. So I think I'm, I wouldn't be picking it just because, you know, I, I, it's an MLS club. I don't really have that kind of attachment to that league, but I do think there is something about this run that this club is on that stands out. That's a, that's a lot different than what we've seen so far, but history is against LAFC as we know, what is it? 11 for 11 right now with Liga MX club. So it is their tournament. There's no doubt about that. 
I thought that was uh, really good. We I didn't expect to start with Diego a little bit earlier, but I'm really excited that we were able to get into that conversation. Oh, yeah. you, guys, you guys got me a little emotional there. I, I love that <laughs> Rubio Rubin uh, podcast, by the way. I oh, love, did you hear uh, it? He was fantastic yeah, sure. on it. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, I um, I uh, have this sort of, like I said, this very strong attachment to Napoli. And, you know, I basically learned how to speak Italian so I could – consume more uh sedia media and um the tributes man that rolled in from from naples i mean they were just heartbreaking stories of him stepping in and seeing a mom and pop shop in naples back in 91 or whatever and you know basically um using his money to lift that lift that city up for the longest time it was it was really great to hear and i know that he was like i said he had some pretty hard demons man but uh who doesn't at this point right that, that's yeah, the appeal that's, that's the appeal for so many people though is that he's yeah, relatable sure. in that aspect right you know i mean wh- who you know we we jokingly were talking about cristiano ronaldo a little bit earlier you know oh yeah you know and and i know like the vegas stuff but like for oh, yeah. sure like yeah. like there that's relatable for a lot of people because you know he he showed that he had both sides of him so no, you, you i thought got that me thinking was, about that you got me thinking about that because you know what? I had not paid attention to my, just my Twitter profile. I'm always on uh, Twitter on, you know, on my cell phone. So it's not like you get the full sort of, I just ignore the header and the profile <laughs> picture and all that stuff. So you got me thinking about that. You know what? There's probably a better choice there. Um, I got a picture with Roger Federer from last year. I there you go. Yeah. I would, that's that definitely, definitely better. a better choice. I think you should yeah. go with that. Nicest, nicest guy ever too, by the way. I mean, I got legitimately nervous and I've met plenty of sports figures and all that. I think the only, the only times I got jittery were Tony Gwynn back when I was at San Diego state, obviously. And, uh, Roger Federer. And there's another one I'm not remembering. Oh yeah. Cuauhtémoc. The first time I met Cuauhtémoc Blanco. Yeah, that one, that's that one awesome. a little nervous. Yeah, but Federer, man, he, he was class act the entire way. Yeah, you got me thinking about Cristiano, and it's like you don't want to cave to whatever it is people say about a certain somebody, but, you know, those accusations were pretty – pretty fucking horrible yes they were no doubt about it (laughs) yeah that's yeah might be time to retire that that twitter header man thanks thanks for uh thanks (laughs) thank you brother guys that is our guy eric gomez follow him on twitter eric with a c eric gomez 86 native san diegan working for espn in Mexico City, he's a terrific tour guide. If everybody, anybody ever travels again and goes down to Mexico City when he's not in San Diego, ask Eric where to go. He can hook you up with all the best restaurants, hotels, proper areas to go and stay. He's the one that introduced me to the Polanco district of Mexico City. So he has joined us on several occasions. And yet we did not know, Jordan, that he was a Napoli supporter. I, I am A, relieved, and B, uh, I don't know how we didn't know that, but what an interesting conversation with him and Diego Maradona. Yeah, no kidding. Um, did not know that. Did not, he must be subscribing to ESPN Plus to consume Serie A. Um, I know that's what is delivered with ESPN Plus, so he's probably consuming it that way. Um, yeah. Well, really he works for we ESPN, so I, I, hope they're, I hope they're hooking him up since he works for them. I hope that comes with the employment. I would imagine it does. Like he's probably got his own login. He probably gets to share it with a few people. Maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, he, uh, that's gotta be the way to consume it. And then also talking about CONCACAF champions league, I mean, Carlos Bella on one side, uh, playing for LASC, such a young club going up against Tigres, a team that, um, as Eric documented quite well in his interview have struggled once they get to this stage, uh, there's a lot on the line Tuesday night, so it's going to be fun. Oh. It's going to be really good television on Tuesday night. It is so massive. I mean, the idea, like I said, and and you know, this is not unprecedented. MLS clubs have made this final before, but and Toronto in 2018, I thought perhaps a shot at it because they had won the Supporter Shield. I think they had won the MLS Cup. They might have won one other trophy there. I don't know if they had won the U.S. Open Cup that year or or what, but. You know, they were perceived as as perhaps inching to this 
sort of uh, you know the, this unprovable, you know, best team in MLS history title. Um, I don't know that I really bought it. You know, Montreal in 2015. No, but but this side, having gotten through, as Eric said, as he chronicled there, Leon, Cruz Azul, Club America, and now Tigres, like, you know, it just sort of like it, it feels a little bit more legit. And just think about that, Jordan, like you're 90 minutes away from an MLS club having an opportunity to go to play in the Club World Cup whenever that is. And nobody knows. But whenever that opportunity arises to have an MLS club in that freaking tournament against Bayern Munich and some of the other heavyweights from around the world, you know, I mean, as Chelsea's played in this, Barca's played in this, you know, you and I Mm. to have an MLS club in that tournament would be amazing and obviously unprecedented and a huge moment. If in fact it could happen, it's never happened before. So Tuesday night is a big one. Yeah, give our guy Eric Gomez a follow on Twitter. By the time you go to his Twitter page, if you're on a laptop or a desktop, maybe you will see the Roger Federer photo that he was uh, just referencing by the time you listen to this podcast. Who knows? Maybe you'll have that updated. A new header photo. I'm with him. You, uh, you kind of forget what your header photo is if you just use the app on your cell phone. You don't see it that way. Oh, I don't forget it. You don't forget it. Yours is, uh, yours is in Barca? Yep, mine was uh, 2015 Classico. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, so follow along, Eric Gomez. Um, really good stuff there. Really, really good. Darren, is there anything else that gets you as excited as uh, Tuesday night? Well, the rest of this week, we have the well, holidays. We yeah. have a lot coming up. Yeah, we do. And, and I don't know that we will or won't get a second podcast in this week, but I thought a little bit more about some of the more recent SD loyal signings. Uh, we'll probably have to circle back around on that since we've went uh, a, a bit longer than, and for good reason than we had both scheduled, but welcome to the newest signings. I love what Loyal's doing, having these guys show up on video and then write a handwritten note that gets posted on social media. That's been great. So we'll have to, talk about that at some length since we had an amazing conversation with Corey Herzog last time out, we'll have to track down some of these other more recent signings. Uh, I could just tell you this Jeff Reuter, who's covered this league longer than you and I have been talking about the USL. He says these signings put San Diego loyal in the category of championship caliber championship contender. They're going on a championship run that to me, other than you and I having to sit and talk and, and, you know, relay our thoughts on this sort of stuff. When Jeff Reuter says that sort of thing, it really resonates. It stands out to me. So that's all I needed to hear about some of these signings. You and I can whip ourselves into believing that, but somebody who's a little bit further away from it, independent, not affiliated with the club, the way you and I are, when he says that, I, I think it carries a lot of weight. So that was good to see. Yeah, and we, uh, we kind of predicted that kind of conversation being brought up this offseason uh, last week when we talked with Corey Herzog. Um, I think it was the last question of the interview. I remember asking him, like, the San Diego team going into last year was kind of a dark horse playoff team, potentially. But this year is going to be uh, – the conversation is going to be about winning a championship. It's not going to be about making just the playoffs. So um, that conversation has already begun, it sounds like, nationally. So that uh here we go we're off and running and we're a f- couple months away from that season kicking off a season that potentially might end with a trophy darren we'll see we'll see i'm very excited about it can't come soon enough all these signings have got me pretty stoked so uh especially seeing get, seeing it get the stamp of approval from jeff Reuter. no question about it what's really got me excited is uh drinking a buena vista during this podcast it's, i'm ready to go watch uh Corey Herzog scores some goals for SD Loyal now. I'm right in that yeah. mindset. I'd, I'd be right there with you, pal, but I'll tell you, I just got back from vacation with family, so one could imagine the amount of alcohol consumed on that trip. <laughs> Adam, <Ness. laughs> Yeah, I got you. I got you. Uh, <laughs> you got to stay sane somehow. You got to stay sane somehow. So now that I'm back, I'm drying out for a few days. But we'll be back up and running here just in time for, I don't know, Boxing Day coming up at the end of the week. Watching yeah. another disappointing Barca performance. Who knows? We'll have plenty of opportunity to consume alcohol over the next couple of weeks here before we get into 2021. Well, if you're not disappointed enough watching Barcelona, you can always tune into a Chelsea match. They will uh, take on, <laughs> not only will they take on Arsenal uh, next weekend, this upcoming weekend, but they're also going to take on West Ham on a Monday. That, that match may have already been in the books by the time people consume this podcast, but 
you might have an opportunity to be disappointed multiple times this week if you want to go ahead and consume both Chelsea and Barcelona because well, it's been disappointing I, as a play. You got a chance, certainly, against those two clubs, especially against Arsenal, because isn't Chelsea's uh, bugaboo now that they just can't be good clubs? And Arsenal's not a good club, so I like your chances in that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see <laughs> William once again. I miss William. Um, I, I hear it's been an absolute disaster with him at Arsenal, but he won a lot of trophies with Chelsea, so I'm excited to see him. Mm. Yeah, like I said, that, that's, that's exactly the kind of opponent – that you guys have done very well against this season. So I like your chances. You might have a good week, Jordan, and then reality will set in when you face somebody who's towards the top of the table. Are you calling uh, Arsenal Chelsea slump buster? (laughs) I mean, they're in a relegation battle right now, so it sort of speaks for itself. (laughs) Uh, Very good. I'm going to go Chelsea in that match. I'm going blue in that one. I have no idea what's going to happen against West Ham, but a couple London derbies this week for Chelsea. Like it. All right, Darren. Um, Want to give our uh, our shout out, our thank you to Three Punk Ales, who are delivering. I had a delivery from them just a week ago. Got some drinks, got some seltzers. Tried those for the first time. Um, there's also some merch available. You can buy some t-shirts. So want to throw that out uh, at least one more time on the podcast. So got to give thanks to Three Punk Ales. And we're also going to give our thanks to Sport Clips. I am in desperate need of a visit to Sport Clips, Darren. There's no question about that. Yep. Well, unfortunately, we're all going to have to wait a little bit longer. But when we get out of this current situation, make sure you run off there to your local Sport Clips location and get all prettied up here for 2021, Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) In the meanwhile, prettied up. In the meanwhile, we can't. We have every excuse on the planet to look as shaggy as we did when we started this podcast, and we were using video before all of our internet decided to shit on itself at the same time. So. We uh, decided just to go audio only for the podcast. So we'll leave it at that. Yeah. I mapped out my haircuts much better the first time around the first shutdown, second shutdown did not schedule that out very well. In fact, I probably should have been due for a haircut a couple of days into the shutdown. So it's going to get bad. It's going to get rather messy over here. So wish me luck. Um, I will chat with you soon. Happy holidays to you, to your family. I'm glad you're able to see your family this last week. I'm glad you survived. And I'm especially happy that you're back home in San Diego. Same, same goes. And a happy holidays. Like I said, I don't know if we will or won't have a second podcast this week. It might be guest dependent if guests are available to us, but we'll see what happens between now and the end of the week. In the meanwhile, like I said, Tuesday night, it should be really, really good theater Two excellent goal scorers to uh, clubs now that find themselves with a moment in their club history, one much longer than the other to do something that has never been done before Two really intriguing, charismatic managers. There's just a lot to love about Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. All right, brother. I will chat with you soon. Peace.